Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Slam Falcon Screen, and we are with freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. So it is a bit of noise in the background, and that is because we are at the launch of the Sydney Film Festival. The program launched this morning. The festival is running from June 5th to 16th throughout Sydney. It is the festival 66. Yeah, and we have with us the director of the Sydney Film Festival, Nash and Moodley, to talk about this year's program. Nash, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, great to be on the show again. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about the creative direction behind this year's program and what has gone into putting together Sydney Film Festival 2019? Well, it's been a long process. We started in August last year, and we've looked at thousands of films, I'd say, um, and it went right down to the wire. We, we finalized the program very, very recently. I can't believe how recently, actually. Um, these, I, didn't, I was, wasn't sure that you'd get a program guide today. It, it was so close, but um, we did it, and I think we have a, a fantastic program. I'm really delighted with what we have. It's a very strong year for Australian cinema. We have some fantastic films from around the world. We have uh, a number of films that are coming to Sydney straight from Cannes, um, which means that it's the first time for many of them that a public anywhere in the world can see the film, because of course in Cannes it's, it's mostly professionals, not, uh, not public screenings. So uh, I'm really excited about the program. I think we have so many filmmakers coming to present their films at the festival this year uh, for the competition, virtually everybody, and um, I, I think we're going to have a great festival. Were there any particular goals in formulating some of the sidebars or the direction of the official selection this year? Look, I think our goals remain the same every year. We just try to have the best cinema we possibly can. We try to, we try to create a program that's quite large, as you can tell, with more than 300 films. And we try to have, in a way, the best films from the preceding year. So since the last Sydney Film Festival, we've tried to collect everything that we think is the best. Um, of course... It's wonderful to have some very brand new films. It's wonderful to have world premieres, and we have a number of world premieres. It's wonderful to introduce new talent, and I think that's what we're doing in, in several sections of the festival this year. In trying to, to present the best of, of world cinema, in, in trying to, to introduce new talent, um, we've, we've achieved that goal. Every year, I think, uh, Sydney Film Festival tries to talk to new uh, areas of film and also new... Uh, countries. So I think what kind of countries? So Rafiki from last year was quite interesting from that sense. It was I hadn't seen anything from that part of the world at all. So I think uh, where from uh, people from this year, what can they expect in terms of new countries and new places? For instance, uh, there are many countries. We have uh, 59 countries represented in the program this year. I think that number will be added to by by the time we're completely done with the programming. Uh, because, as you know, we continue. Um, we have a film from Macedonia, for instance, in the competition. It's not the first film ever from Macedonia, because uh, Tiona Struga-Matevska was here with her previous film a few years ago. But it's the first Macedonian film in the competition. Uh, we don't have many films from Bangladesh playing at the festival every year, but we have a film from Bangladesh this year, which I'm happy about. Uh, Sudanese cinema is not doesn't exist to a great extent, but we have uh, uh, two films from Sudan, this year, um, one a feature film and one about uh, four filmmakers uh, who are desperately trying to to recreate a cinema culture in Sudan. Um, so there are a number of countries that that uh, 
we don't usually see films from that we're very excited to present. So my favorite strand every year is always the horror and freak me out and it's my favorite horror freak me out strand that I've ever seen but more significantly you have many genre and horror films playing throughout the festival not just in the freak me out strand including one that is coming straight from Cannes which we're very excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Richard Kuypers, who programs the Freak Me Out section, does a fantastic job every year. Uh, he really watches everything, I think, and makes his uh, final selection with great care. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, uh, these boundaries aren't so stern uh, within the festival. And we're delighted to present straight from Cannes Jim Jamush's new film, The Dead Don't Die. Uh, it has a tremendous cast. The film's very funny. It's philosophical in the way a, a, a Jamush film, uh, only a Jamush film can be and uh, it's very strange and quite wonderful. I think people are going to have a great time in the cinema. Additionally, we've talked about some of the countries that will have films featured prominently in the festival but you have a particular country focus this year. I think it's the first time you've had a country focus including a number of guests who will be coming from not too very far away. Yeah, so our country focus we've done for, for the last seven years and uh, it's wonderful to focus on New Zealand. It's a fantastic year for New Zealand cinema. Uh, we have a film playing in the competition called Bellbird which I think is amazing. It's the first film, um, a, a film about a, a rural community that comes together in the face of a loss and um, a range of films about music, about um, politics. Uh, we have uh, the wonderful film Merita, How Mum Decolonized the Screen about uh, Merita Mita and uh, made by her son. Um, so I think it's a, a fantastic year to focus on New Zealand. We we uh, we let these country focuses uh, emerge organically. We don't usually go in and say, well, we're going to do this country and then search for the films. We we see some films and then start thinking, oh, this is a particularly great year for this particular country. So let's let's do a focus. And with New Zealand, that's the way it happened. And uh, we're delighted. We're going to have um, every filmmaker. I think is going to be here with their film. Um, so it's going to be a wonderful celebration of New Zealand cinema. And it's interesting, we're paying tribute to Agnes Varda, who passed away recently, and uh, what will be planned for that? We're showing uh, 10 feature-length films by Varda, four shorts, uh, and that excludes uh, Varda's last film, um, Varda by Agnes. And uh, we've been working on this retrospective for some years. Um, it was really my hope that Varda would attend, and, and uh, that was what we were working towards and uh, unfortunately it's not to be we were very saddened by her passing but I think it's still an opportune moment to celebrate her life and her work and her impact um, just in a, in a range of ways uh, uh, purely as a filmmaker but also in, in many other ways and she's inspired uh, so many other filmmakers uh, as an artist uh, she did tremendous things and uh, you know there's, there's something about her films that are, are so particular that if you see you know it's, she's one of those filmmakers that if you see just uh, three seconds you say okay well that's that's her and that's that's quite kind of rare actually um, so I, I think it's going to be a wonderful celebration of her life and work yeah she had a, a warmth to her work that cut across different styles and subject matters I think yeah, absolutely. always shone through absolutely yeah, that's it. <laughs> On the other side of the spectrum from warmth, um, in the retrospective selection, I was really interested to see all seven hours of Satan Tango. I think it's going to be fantastic. We, we, it was, um, as you can imagine, quite difficult to schedule. Uh, it takes a cinema day. <laughs> um, it takes a festival day. Um, but we're going to screen it twice. I, it, it's a risk, of course, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be full. We're screening it once on a Friday. So I hope everyone just 
doesn't go to work that day and goes to the cinema and, and once on the weekend. And uh, I think it's it's an incredible film. It's a, a monumental film that hasn't been seen in cinemas very much since it was released, actually. Uh, not even on 35mm. Uh, it, it's been quite rare and quite difficult to see the film. So this is restored um, and uh, we'll be screening it off at DCP and I think it's going to be beautiful. I think it's really an opportunity to see the film because for someone like me, I would never find the time to watch seven and a half hours of a film in as close to one sitting as possible at home. It's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, I think you've you've got to commit. It's a big commitment. And we, I mean, we've done it before. We've had uh, six and a half hour films. We played Arabian Nights. And that was over three volumes. So, yes. so I mean, we still had we still had more than a thousand people who watched all three. So, uh, that's quite an impressive number. Um, so, I hope I hope Satan Tango is, is completely sold out. I'd love to be there myself. I don't think I will be, but uh, I'll try to catch it at uh, uh, another festival. We've asked what we're quite excited about, but from the program, it's a lot to flick through. Are there films or something that sticks out to you that people might not notice, might go off the beaten track that you're really keen to show audiences? I think if, if people watch the 12 films of the competition, they're going to see um, a really exciting lineup from many countries in the world, from a range of filmmakers, from brand new filmmakers to some of the most established names in, in world cinema. And uh, I encourage people to watch all 12 of those films. I think you'll, you'll be shocked, you'll be happy, you'll cry, you'll, you'll laugh, uh, you might run away from the cinema at some, after some screenings. It's really challenging, provocative work and uh, I'm very excited about those films. Well, I hope not to run away and I'm really keen for it and the program, it's now live. People who want to get tickets, where do we go? How do we get to the Sydney Film Festival? Uh, to, to our website is the easiest and uh, there we sell single tickets, flexi passes and uh, you could also book tickets through our app which is a, a very easy way to do it because you receive the, the tickets on the app. So we encourage you to look through our program and uh, buy a flexi pass and enjoy the festival. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting again closer to the festival. Thanks so much for having me on the show again. And we'll be back right after this. Join me on Saturdays from 8pm for Keeping Score. My name is Leah, and each week we'll unravel the soundtracks and musical scores from some of our favourite movies. The soundtrack to your Saturday night. Keeping score on 2SCR 107.3. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. Uh, that was the ad for Keeping Score, which is the new film score program on 2SC on Saturday nights. Yeah, they're just uh, playing classic film tunes. I tuned in for the first one. It was actually great just having it on the background, listening to the score from the original Suspiria. And yeah, there's a few more since then, so yeah, tune in, check it out. And while we will go on to talk more about the City Film Festival and some of the festivals that are happening around town this week, first we want to introduce the newest member of our panel, someone who you might remember from last year's City Film Festival, Virat Nehru has popped off, who we have with us, 2SCR Storwell, an all-round cinephile, Stephen Hill. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And it's going to be, I mean, we're going to, it is that month, isn't it? It's the month of film. Well, this, this, this coming month, it's, it's going to be, we're all going to be... Yeah, we're all going to have... Our eyeballs are basically going to be... almost exploding. It's, it's, it's almost going to be like a David Cronenberg film, isn't it? The State Theatre is going to own our eyes and our bums because we're just going to be glued to there and just have to execrate ourselves after four screenings in a row. You're making it sound like the human centipede. 
it's the, isn't he for festivals much more life better than that? It's so funny the way that we kind of look at it as a badge of honor for it to be the most challenging. It's like, oh, I saw 14 four-hour black and white films this year. Yeah, How I'm, many did you see? I'm not sitting through the seven-hour film or a spoken word opera, like, what was that? I forget the one last year. That was Season of the Devil. Hopefully we'll see the new Lev Diaz film showing a director's fortnight added as a late edition when the Cannes films are announced. But until then, we've got uh, someone who's, a, I think, a great stylistic forebear on Lev Diaz, Bella Tarr, showing... Satan Tango, yes. Um, fantastic. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to actually seeing, seeing it on a big screen. Um, how many hours is it? Is it it's 454 dour minutes yeah. of Hungarian brutality. Oh my god. It's, that's very different from Hail Satan, which is the, I believe, the same group that the Netflix show Speed of the Teenage Witch got in trouble. Maybe I'm going to have to look, I guess, to confirm that. Yeah, the Satanic Temple. Yeah, so that is just one of the few mini mini films that are screened. But we are going to talk more about the City Film Festival. We just want to touch on the biggest news of the week film wise, which is that. SBS for us, for, for us Sydney siders, for us Australians, Australians yeah, that SBS, I, and I, I'm still just so excited to hear this, have launched a world movies channel. They're going to be screening 700 films throughout the year, and it's a phenomenal advent. Oh, I'm absolutely stoked about this. I mean, I was such a such a oh, such a lover of world movies when you know for about 10 years. I think it, it actually helped me as a young person, really introduced me to a range of filmmakers that I hadn't known, and also they had the sort of they would have a program of auteurs, so. This was this was a long part. I mean, I think SBS was such an important part of you know my my grooming to to you know to actually gain a sort of film literacy. So it's really great that this program that that there's going to be our world movies channel back on free to air television too, which is even better. So it's going to be access for all of us, not just Foxtel subscribers. Yeah, um, I agree. The SBS used to place a lot higher priority on screening foreign cinema. Um, these days. The foreign programming has sort of gone away in exchange for more TV, prestige television program imports and American independent films um, and Danish so-called noirs filling the schedule. Um, I've been bemoaning more and more the lack of space for the classic uh, cinema that I agree was for me really formative as well. I remember seeing early Bong Joon-ho films there. I remember seeing late period Godard films before I had graduated from high school playing on SBS TV. It was, they used to do really amazing things. Um, and then World Movies was a spin-off of SBS's movie programming as a cable channel. And in recent years, they'd stopped offering that as anything but a separate subscription streaming service, which I doubt would have been well used. So it seemed like we were going to World Films being more and more marginalized on SBS through to suddenly being given a great position of prominence again through a free-to-air TV channel. Um, that's a huge amount of exposure and really swings things back in, in SBS's original direction. It is. I remember growing up, I was introduced to Izaki and Japanese cinema and so many other forms of cinema, but my sister and I would sit at 8.30 and wait to watch these films and we have not seen as great a plethora than we has in recent years. Now they're talking about at least 50% um, non-English language films, films from uh, dozens upon dozens of countries. And this is something, it's more ideal than possibly Netflix. It's more most else just to have on in the background and learn about new cinema. Well, it it's directs you in potentially interesting directions. SBS was always extremely well curated. It's not, it um, pushes people in the direction of discovery instead of just serving up something that you know going, what you're getting going in. 
So that'll launch on July 1st. We are very, very keen for that, as we are for the Sydney Film Festival. Now, we were speculating just now what might be the closing night film. We have, they have announced Palm Beach as the opening night film with Brian Brown and Sam Neill, a number of other prominent Australian and New Zealand actors. Um, however, we don't know what the closing night means. They might be holding out for a film by, oh, some guy who won the uh, Palm d'Or 25 years ago may have a big new film coming out. Some Quentin, is this some sort of Quentin bloke? You know, uh, well, I've had some obscure films like uh, a certain one with uh, Bruce Willis. What was that, Pulp Fiction? I don't know, people may not have heard of that film. I'm holding out for 2SER mask, uh, Film Fight Club mascot Terrence Malick to make an appearance, hopefully with Ruddigund as a closing night film or late edition. Uh, with the fellow we who... Matthias Schoenhertz is in this. Yes. yes. And he's also in another film at this festival as well, um, Kursk, the, about the submarine disaster that occurred some years ago. And this is also the final screen appearance for Bruno Gantz, this new Malik film, yeah. Ah, uh, beautiful. And so there's... It's not at the Sydney Film Festival, it might be. It might be. There, 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 will be la- there will be late editions. Please factor that into your programming when you are... Ticketing is not live. Factor it in because you will be switching around things with your FlexiPass. Um, in terms of the other frequencies... It was great at the festival. I commented earlier that this is... I go see the Freak Me Out section every single year. I watch every single film with a number of friends of mine. This year isn't just the strongest Freak Me Out section. It has one from Elijah Wood and a few quite interesting genre flicks, including a feminist western set western. But there are many ancillary films around the festival which have a horror genre aspect. Um, Nashon spoke about The Dead Don't Die. There is an eco-thriller Ever After from Sweden, which is also a zombie thriller. Um, there's Nightingale, the new feature from Jennifer Kent, Australia's Jennifer Kent, which we're very excited to treat at the festival. It's the New South Wales premiere. But um, on, So there's any number of great horror films, but also, interestingly, environmentally focused films. I mentioned Ever After, but there is also a 13-shot f- film composed of 13 individual shots are focusing on the rainforest and the environment. So there's a, for while there are the genre horror flicks, there's also going to be the quirky stuff that uh, will appeal to some of the most hardcore cinephiles out there. Oh yeah, that's definitely really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested about so seeing the Claire Denis finally, the, the high life. That's certainly, I think, one, one, one I'm certainly been, will be anticipating to see in about a month's time. It was shown at the French Film Festival around Melbourne and Sydney, Sydney Folk had to just wait, wait a few more months. But, yeah, she's always a really interesting filmmaker. So it just does a, just does, does a different genre on every, every film these days. I mean, she, I, wouldn't have seen, I wouldn't have imagined her doing romantic comedy, but she did it quite effectively last, last year um, in that film with Juliette Binoche and, and this year where she's doing science fiction. So that's certainly um, one that I'm really excited about. Yeah, and speaking of science fiction, there's one reminds me very much of the Logan Marshall Green film from last year, where it's a robot who's either being raised or is raising part of a family. You mean Upgrade, the Logan Marshall Green movie? <laughs> Upgrade. That's I keep forgetting the title. It just has the most standard sci-fi title. But it was really good. This sounds super unlike Upgrade, though. Really, like this sounds like it's going to be like a sentimental, right? Like. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's going to be about people's spines getting ripped out or whatever upgrade ended up being. It's not going to have the best action seed of the year, but in terms of the focus on AI, uh, which is, um, which isn't as I think it's the only film I saw at least for our relatively as yet cursory overview of the festival, uh, focusing on that sort of aspect of science fiction. There's also Judy Punch, which is the Mia Wasikowska film. Um, and that will be the 17th century set one about the classic Punch and Judy show. There's a number of special presentations at the state. There is, we talked about New Zealand, Nation. Um, there is, what was it called? Um, Bellbird, which had a prominent showing. There's a couple of films from, as I mentioned, from Macedonia. 
uh, sort of the first I haven't seen too many Macedonian films, so I'm very interested for that. There's a South African set film, a feminist drama, which I'm quite keen for. South Sudan too. There's a film set in South Sudan, which I think looks quite interesting to to see considering the civil war. So that's certainly. I mean, there's a real. I mean, as you expect from the Sydney Film Festival, there's a, there's a real broad range of films from you know whole range of countries. It's always great to sort of see you know films from places like Cyprus um, this year. Um, whole 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 stack of areas where you know we don't have you don't necessarily have a huge amount of personal information to be able to to gauge to, to be able to experience yeah different stories from around the world including one from the netherlands who's an island of belgium whose trailer i watched uh, just last night uh dirty god which uh, is a story about someone who suffered a brutal attack and um and and her life following um with a daughter and her family and others are following this event which looks fascinating should definitely be looked up um there is one never look away uh, from the director of The Lives of Others, who I believe will also be a guest at the festival. Can I just comment on how this year it seems like there's a change of direction in the way that the official programs, sorry, the official competition's been put together. Last year it seemed very much focused on providing fresh perspectives, um, which is on paper a uh, noble ideology, but it, a lot of the time it didn't end up pres- creating the the best selection of films. Um, but this year I'm way more excited um, I think sometimes it's safe to bet on directors who have established themselves yeah. um, and develop their voice. Their voice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt like we were seeing a lot of rough around the edges stuff, which I don't think deserved the level of spotlight they were giving it at the State Theatre. Because I think the festival wanted to stand apart this year. We you know we've got Almodovar, we've got Bong Joon Ho, um, we've got Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, we've got Kleber Mendoza Fio. Um, a lot of the Khan films are in the official selection this year, as opposed to only Black Klansman last year. We're of course referring to Pain and Glory and Parasite, two of the most anticipated features from the festival. As well as, uh, as, well as Baku Rao, from the director who did Aquarius and Neighbouring Sounds. He's now being persecuted by the Bolsonaro government in Brazil, being made to pay some extraneous fine of $500,000 or something. So it'll be good for him to... Uh, receive a better welcome in Sydney, let's hope. Well, we won the Sydney Film Prize a couple of years ago, but he had to present it via video link because he wasn't able to be there in person. Now, now is a great time for him to be given a cash prize, one might think, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, it's just really interesting because there actually is a, a range of Brazilian films, so with the sort of changing political climate, there's actually quite a few interesting films. As you mentioned, you've got the uh, Backpack Corral, but there's also a very interesting uh, science fiction film called Divine Love. Uh, set in 2000, I think it's 2026. Uh, definitely, and there's, there's, there's a range of documentaries about the rise of Bolsonaro. So, I think it's, it's always, always important that the film festival taps into some of the um, some of the big event, political events um, going around the world, and certainly with, you know, the rise of a sort of a Brazilian Trump. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how these um, films respond to the current sort of political environment in Brazil. Speaking of Trump, there is the Steve Bannon docker, which looks like it has quite intimate access. It looks very interesting. Looks what was that called? Brink. Brink. That looks Brink. really good. Yep. And uh, the new Elizabeth Moss film, Her Smell, which appears to be an yeah. a pseudo Courtney Love biopic, very much uh, suggestive of that, but not explicitly so. Yeah, it's the new one from Alex Ross Perry. Um, I've been rece- hearing a lot of positive hype around this. Yeah, I, I think it could surprise people. And the new Jamie Bell film, um, and Hearts and Bones, the Hugh Weaving film, which will be featured very prominently at the festival. Look, there's a lot uh, of the, the, that are screening at the festival and there's a lot we're very keen on. We're going to go be studying the program in a lot more detail and bringing more and more coverage throughout the coming weeks. And 
there will be we'll be talking in more detail with Nashan about the program uh, close to the festival date. Uh, is there something you wanted to, I guess, last thoughts on this year's program launch? Oh well, it's just a. Uh, I mean, I'm still I'm still digesting it, so I don't know that I've got a great sort of definitive comment at this moment. But um, I'm mean, really interested to see the, the new Amadova. It's getting very, very good early, early reviews. And there's also a Japanese film um, from a 22-year-old director called Jesus, which I've been told, you know, is, 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 you know Japan's been looking for their, like their, their next creator, their next, um, their next big auteur. And there's, 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 so, I mean, hate to build up the hype too much without having... But there seems to be a lot of interest in this film, so that certainly might be one of the up-and-coming directors. I mean, we always want to be looking at the... There's you know, some really interesting directors... You know, coming out of Europe at the moment, so it's really good to, to see some, some interested Asian directors too. Well, we will be covering the Sydney Film Festival in a lot more detail. The program is now live. And uh, just and as a last comment, I'd simply say, in terms of the filmmaker guests and the big ticket items, and also the, a lot of the genre fair, I think this may be my favourite, and particularly in terms of the genre fair, this may be my favourite festival in several years. So there's a lot to look forward to. But we will be covering that in more detail. In the last five minutes, there's a few festivals that have occurred over the course of the last week. I know Stephen's going to be touching on the Spanish Film Festival. The uh, Classica Moldovar film is playing tonight around the country. What was the name of that one? Uh, Women on, on the Edge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, so that, yeah, that's a famous uh, Amadovo film. Uh, but also, I mean, it was a yeah, very interesting lineup this year at the Spanish Film Festival. Uh, yesterday, I saw The Accordionist's Son, which I highly recommend. Um, based on a Basque, Basque um, novelist, uh, Bernardo Echaga's novel. Uh, very much sort of sets sort of rise. Uh, it's a very much a historical novel going back to um, a, a young man's struggle to sort of get caught between his very um, right, right-wing conservative parents and... His, his friends, left-leaning, who are getting involved in the ETA, in the sort of Basque-Tiparitist movement. So it's, a, it's definitely uh, the film that, you know, if, it, if it, there's a chance if it pops up on SBS or on the wonderful new world, returning world movie channel, it certainly would be one to recommend. And I definitely recommend the novels of Bernadette Exhaga too. He's one, one of those writers that really should be, you know, be, be known, known a lot more about, but yes. Um, sorry for, thanks for that, Stephen. Sorry for the background there too. We are live from Town Hall, the site of the festival launch. Um, additionally, a festival that occurred this weekend was the Irish Film Festival in Sydney, which will be occurring from the 9th to the 12th at Melbourne's Kino Cinema. Um, it's the fifth annual festival. It's the biggest in terms of attendance. Um, the quality of films, particularly the quality of political dramas, has continued to grow. Um, a few films I would um, note are the excellent documentary um, from Sean Murray, Unquiet Graves, which we interviewed Sean last week, and that covers um, conflict with the Northern Ireland and um, accusations of collusion regarding um, a number of the uh, groups that were operating in Northern Ireland and some of the authorities there with um, some more, with also militants who were, who were allegedly responsible for the deaths of over 120 civilians. Another very good film I would encourage you to seek out as a drummer in The Keeper, it is a film that uh, pits an individual in a band who is bipolar and, uh, and part of his effort to uh, be active in society uh, becomes part of a soccer team, including a, young, uh, a member who is a, a young, and a young man who has Asperger's syndrome. While a lot of the uh, action that goes on around these characters is incredibly formulaic, the dynamic between and charisma between these two actors and characters is hugely palpable and in itself recommends the film all in terms my favourite film from the festival another film I totally recommend Australian fans will remember The Castle probably the most beloved Australian film there is a film called The Battle, the Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed it's a documentary it is a true story about a man who took on a compulsory acquisition move against his large property 
in Ireland and it's an unusual documentary in that all of it is staged on his farm. There's no, there's no archival footage, but while it is very compelling in the same way the, the castle was, it is most interesting that I have very rarely seen, and certainly not in the past year, uh, someone le- capture certainly a filmmaker with not as much experience or resources as so many more capture such extraordinarily depth of field and focus in both light and dark environments. The shots of this farm, uh, the director and Murray of the festival comments, you can see the grass grow, he's absolutely right. There's Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed at the screening at the Irish Film Festival, I strongly encourage you to seek it, seek it out. And the other festival, which I caught over the weekend, I caught one flick from that, but I think Chris was at a lot more of it, was uh, the second annual Cinema Reborn, put on by Jeffrey Gardner who we interviewed last week. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It has a great location at the what I really appreciate this is that it's very left-of-center programming. There are a lot of films there that I definitely would not have seen otherwise for probably for a very long time, if ever. Um, one that really exemplifies the interesting lineup is um, Golden 80s by Chantal Ackerman. It's a film that is a bit of a curiosity in her filmography. It's completely different in style, being an homage to the classic musical, but infused with some of her own cynicism in, in a subtle way. Um, I was also interested to see Neapolitan Carousel. It's a movie that's been, I think, nearly completely forgotten, but has incredible craft put behind it. Um, it's, it's just, I wouldn't say it's a great film, but like a lot of the films in this program, it was just interesting seeing them out of t- presented to you out of time. They really, I think, showed the, the spectrum of what cinema has been through some of its weirder kind of uh, representations. And, and I'd also just recommend Yol, the Turkish film, which I saw on a Sunday night, a fabulous film about by a uh, Turkish filmmaker who was actually in prison um, when the film was made, so he actually made the directions to his assistant, and yeah, definitely a film to, to, to seek out. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw, what was it, the uh, Mestriani Loren film, um, uh, lucky, to be, lucky to Be a Woman. Yeah, that was, look, this, this is one of the situations where a film does not and has not and will not age well. Um, certainly a lot of films in the era don't. It's very much about a uh, yeah, ev- every woman in the film is someone who is aspiring to be um, found by the paparazzi and wears very, very tight dresses and Mastriani... Oh, sorry, do you want to... No, no, I was... Oh, sorry, I thought we were... Sorry. And then Mastriani plays a not dissimilar figure that he plays in the Dolce Vigor and even to an extent eight and a half. Like, he has... He's within a range and uh, there were many directors throughout the 50s and 60s who knew how to exploit his range very well. Um, the compelling aspects of this film are seeing two extraordinary performers at work, uh, who I mentioned earlier, but also just beautiful. And there's a reason Jeff selects these films. Just gorgeous cinematography um, of a type you do not see in terms of um, the in- some of the interior sequences. It's You notice in a lot of... Pe- people will have a trade-off often between whether you have an actor and key focus or the background and it's a very simple thing to say but the entire frame in every interior shot is lush and gorgeous whether it be in the restaurant at night or whether it be in a studio in the middle of the day and there is a joy to seeing these 4k restorations on the big screen and i think this is why um this film was programmed in addition to a number of others when you say that before that it is very outdated or <laughs> has not aged well um, I would use that description to um, describe a bunch of the films at the festival. The one I was talking about, Napolitan Carousel, is it's an amazing work of film craft and production design. It reminds you of a Powell and Pressburger film like The Tales of Hoffman, um, but it opens with a sequence which is just so racist and sexist. Um, there's a, another film 
in the program Memories of Underdevelopment. It's a film since this restoration. It's had a release on the Criterion Collection in America, so I've heard some talk about it recently. Um, it's definitely a really striking film stylistically. It's taking from French New Wave um, influence, and uh, it feels very, very contemporary, very modern. Um, I'm seeing uh, sort of... It's predicting, I think, this, some of the directions Malik would go down and Godard in terms of fast montage um, and free-flowing structure of the film. But it also seems to be like a really self-obsessive, misogynist-type film, um, yeah. which, you know, that's the one way in which it did not feel modern. And it was, I was surprised to see how many of the films in this program I think have dated so badly in terms of gender representation and reflection of race. Yeah, to elaborate a little bit more, um, the mainstay female characters in the film I saw were young and by all means capable and women who, uh, whose entire raison d'etre in the context of the film was to secure older men who were may or may not even be wealthier than they were, but that was the point. Uh, and that was the what they existed for in the context of um, this particular flick. And certainly there are a lot of films made like this back in the day, and certainly a lot of films made like this today. Um, and while I think they, while many do not age well, and will, and will age even less well as the years move on, there are reason these are programmed and we can learn we can still learn a lot from not just the craft of the film but from um what is continue what we learn in retrospect um may was then and is now some outdated ways of looking at the world we can learn and reflect from that too I also think it gives you, as, as Chris was talking about, it gives you some of those films that you, you're rarely going to encounter. So, I mean, the Turkish film Yol, I think, is a classic example. The Yolmas uh, Gunay film, um, set in Turkey uh, is, um, in 1982, it actually won the Palm, Palm d'Or. Um, and actually, you've seen it restored. Um, it, it hasn't been screened too often, and it isn't screened in its own country because of the fact that it uh, references the, Kurd, the Kurds and how the actually puts Kurdistan actually in a description of the titles of some of the cities in Turkey. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting film about the, uh, which really reflects the sort of 1980s, the military coup, the, the military government of Turkey, which um, and the director was actually in prison uh, at the time when this, um, this film was made. It's a fantastic just visual of, of, of a Turkish film showing the, uh, not just Istanbul, but showing like the, the outer regionals of, of areas like Bursa and Konya, areas of Turkey that I've rarely seen all in, you know, in any of the Turkish films I've seen. So, yeah, it's definitely great uh, to have seen that film you know, blown up in a 4K. It certainly, and it's just had a film with such, such energy too. So I can certainly see why it you know, made such a big splash in the early 80s. And it's just a shame that, you know, probably that we don't know a lot more about, um, about him as a director. Yeah. Um, so that was Cinema Reborn. It'll screen again next year, hopefully at the Ritz, where uh, it moved to this year. Um, two more films from the Irish Film Festival to touch on. One was Dublin Old School, which is screening at the ripe old time of 10pm on Saturday night, as it did in Sydney, appropriately so. It is a film about a changing and ever-evolving music scene in Dublin. Certainly people who live in Sydney and have experienced the lockout laws and such will be able to relate. It is about a man who is an aspiring DJ, Jason and he takes around two British DJs who are in town and uh, encounters his brother who's been away for a long time and has had um, 
been the victim of serious drug abuse. Now, the sequences, uh, most of them were shot on the Dublin Street, just off the silence of O'Connell Street, actually just where I came from uh, a few weeks ago, and you can feel it. It's nice and refreshing when you see something um, not quite, quite guerrilla-style shot, but very much feeling like it's a lived-in film, as the many of the musical sequences which is very energetically staged. Um, there is a bit too much shaky cam, I think, deliberately so, and uh, um, unfortunately, while there's an amazing dynamic between the two brothers, there are some wonderful shots where the camera just settles on them and you can see their dynamic play out. Otherwise, it's a bit too back-and-forth, probably changing. You can get too seasick, can't you, with the, the excessive steady cam, and you actually sort of lose focus to the point where you... You don't feel like you're actually focusing on on anything. I mean, it certainly can be. It's a very it can be used very effectively, but still, shaky, you know, the the use of shaky cam has to be um, very much part of drawing drawing the narrative. I mean, because we, as a, as, a, as a audience, we are to a certain way drawn to to whatever's on the screen, and when it just moves around excessively. I mean, that was always David Stratton's criticism. I mean, maybe some would say excessive criticism as he very much liked the, 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 the more classic classic um, Hollywood film but yeah in certain situations the overuse of Steadicam can just be just distracting rather than actually um, adding to the film No I don't mind the use of Steadicam I won't object to it purely in and of itself but when it's too heavily deployed in panning walk-along sequences or in sequences where you're supposed to be standing watching a character you, um, it can be more distracting than it is conducive to an end um, so that and director Dave Tynan uh, will also be in town for the Q&A in Melbourne so do head along and see that um, it's a weird fun late night one to watch the other one uh, last film to touch on is the opening night film which is screening tomorrow night in Melbourne at Open Sydney Float Like a Butterfly it is set in 1972 and follows a young woman and who is uh, living outside of Dublin and who with her with her father and her extended family and aspires to be a boxer and very much idolises Muhammad Ali um, this is very much a while it is modern set it is very much a period piece in many senses the way it films produces it shows a particular time and place that many even in Ireland not be too familiar with it's very much follows the formula of well well, it happens on a much smaller scale. It very much follows the formula morals of every boxing film you will have seen and packs it all in. Um, for those who have not seen Creed 2, I'm going to be ruining the ending in a few moments. So, spoiler, spoiler, there is a great scene at the end of Creed 2. It's the best scene in the film where Creed goes to his father's grave and people have been saying, oh, you shouldn't have done this fight uh, with the son of the man who killed your father. And he just says, no, no, it's not about revenge. It's not about being the biggest. It was just my fight. It was my time. It was my turn. And this was my fight. And that was, as good as that scene was, it was incredibly blatant. This film plays along a similar moral, but does it much more subtly, and it gets about the film. The sequences between the father and daughter are very well staged. Um, there's a lot of extraneous stuff that happens, including an uh, individual who courts her only appears in a few scenes, which could have just as well been excised from the film. It didn't have much, give much to the overall impact of the story. Uh, having said that, the film on the whole is a very entertaining one, and um, while it is... Uh, very brutal to watch in times it is so incredibly sincere and I think a worthy time at the festival so those that was our festival coverage and uh, we'll be back next week with John Wick 3 Parabellum my god it's finally here the concluding maybe probably yes it's the concluding chapter about the man who killed a whole mob because they killed his dog and then uh, went to Rome and reenacted glory sequences from Tableau's and the Inferno and Damn, that movie was good. Um, so, we, yeah, um, you can have a listen to our John Wick 2 review, which we did a little while ago. We will be covering Parabellum in full next week. Have a wonderful night.
enjoy movies. And this is out from Stephen Hill, Veronica Nehru, Chris Evans, and Glenn Falkenstein. Good night. Oh, <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,